Well, I appreciate it, James. And uh, I didn't know Brandon could play the box. Did y'all? That was good. I've never seen one of those before, but it looks sharp. Appreciate it, man. Y'all got a Bible with you? Say yes. And I got a little more than five minutes uh, planned, so I want to encourage you to go ahead and open with me. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, will be our text tonight. And really what I want to do is ask you uh, a question before we dive into the text. And the question is, when did evil first take place? When did evil actually begin? You know, most quickly, uh, or most of the time, people quickly run to the Garden of Eden. They point to Adam and Eve. However, remember that the serpent, who was the devil, was already present in the garden. So evil actually existed prior to Adam and Eve's fall in the garden. Evil originated in heaven before it did on the earth. Norman Geisler makes this statement, and I quote, uh, Evil was born in the breast of an archangel in the presence of God. This is a tremendous mystery, but it is nonetheless the essence of Christian teaching on the source of evil. See, the name of Satan is Lucifer, and Isaiah speaks of his descent from heaven in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, where the scripture says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will make myself like the most high. See, Lucifer sought to match the authority and the majesty of God. And as a result, his fall from heaven was a great fall. And Revelation chapter 12, 3 through 9, there were a third of angelic hosts in that moment who chose freely to follow after Lucifer. So Satan, or Lucifer, currently serves as the leader of those demons whose sole purpose is to seek and thwart the purposes of God upon the earth. Thus, the demons are dispatched under Satan's rule to execute his devious program to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You know, in our current culture, the major attack on the New Testament church by the enemy is the provision of a continual stream of false doctrine. And as I study this week on demons, I found an interesting definition, and that is that a demon is a fallen angel with minor power. You know, our text tonight reveals a great standoff between a host of fallen angels and Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And we'll see together that Jesus can and will eradicate the influence of demonic forces from his kingdom. He will show us tonight how he will completely eradicate the influence of demonic forces. And at the present moment, within the dispensation of the church age, we are at war. And as we see the power of Jesus Christ over demonic activity, we can be encouraged to note our security in him. So it's kind of, again, like a preview. You know, as you see the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, it's almost like you're watching a preview to the coming movie, which is eternity. And Jesus shows us all of the things that he's going to set in, uh, set in right according to his divine power. And one of them is that there will be no demonic influences in his kingdom in the days ahead. So very quickly, Luke's gospel chapter 8, you've got it there, verse 26 uh, through 39. Y'all been seated, so stand with me as we read this together. Luke's gospel chapter 8, verse 26. You got it there in front of you, say yes. 
And the Bible says, then they sailed to the country of Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. Now it's interesting, remember this morning, right? The disciples were hanging out with Jesus, they're on the, or in the boat, and there's this huge storm, right? And so Jesus gets up, he rebukes it, sets everything still, and the disciples are like, shoo, man, we barely got out alive. Now they're going to just get on the shore and kind of hang out and rest and relax. Yeah, that ain't happening. But anyway, so uh, notice what happens. When uh, Jesus came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons, who had not put on clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but in the tombs. And seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus asked him, What's your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine, that's pigs, uh, feeding there on the mountain and the demons implored him to permit them to enter into the pigs and he gave them permission and the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned and when the herdsmen saw what had happened they ran away and reported in the city out in the country and the people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out and sitting down at the feet of Jesus clothed in his right mind and they became frightened and those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to leave them. For they were gripped with great fear. And he got into a boat and he returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging Jesus that he might accompany him. And Jesus sent him away saying, return to your house and describe the things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. So let's bow together. Father, we uh, again enter into a text of Scripture which often is not talked about in uh, Christian circles, but we thank you for the Word. As we seek to go through it, I ask in Jesus' name you would use it in our lives, showing us, God, your great power over demonic influences, your great power over the oppression of the enemy, but also your power even over the possession of the enemy. So use your Word tonight to give us strength to know that we can walk in victory because we walk hand in hand with you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right, a few truths that I want to give you very quickly tonight concerning these particular verses. The first thing that I want you to note is that Jesus was feared by a host of demons. Jesus was absolutely feared by a host of demons. Again, verse 26 through 27, notice what it says here. It says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he came out into the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons, who had not put on any clothing for a long time, was not living in a house but in some tombs. Now, the disciples had just parked their boat after experiencing a violent storm of the natural, and now they're walking into another violent storm of the supernatural. They are probably wondering when things are going to calm down, but we kind of see a few things, and they're all jotted down here for you on the, uh, the blackboard uh, behind me. But just note a few truths about the demons. One, demons can possess people. And you're like, can that still happen? Yes, it can still happen. And it literally speaks of a time in this text when a demonic spirit inhabited a person and took full control of their body. 
So they are absolutely controlled by a demon or a host of demons. Now, not only is this uh, demon possession in the scripture, but I firmly believe in it uh, personally. I believe there are some individuals that we are quick to characterize as mentally insane who are in fact just demon possessed. You know, one commentator makes this statement, and I, I quote, he says, demonization may be defined as a condition in which one or more demons inhabits or gains control over a human being. Demons can attack men spiritually, mentally, and physically. In the spiritual realm, they promote false religions, demon worship, the occult, and innumerable kinds of immorality, including murder. In the intellectual and uh, physiological realm, they promote such things as false doctrines, insanity, masochism, as in, demon, as in the demon-possessed man who gashed himself with stones, and the inability to speak, and even suicidal mania. So we see that demons can indeed possess people. You know, I remember being a student pastor on one occasion, and there were a couple of students who were involved in our student ministry. And uh, one of them, come to find out, was spending her time cutting herself and allowing herself to bleed. So she was taking these knives and whatnot. And it was interesting because at that point in time, I was actually preaching through another gospel. And I came to the text of Scripture where the demon-possessed individual was cutting themselves. And uh, realized, man, this girl's got some issues. She's uh, being plagued by demonic activity. And so God began to work. But anyway, so demons can indeed possess people. Now, just letting you know, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't be possessed by a demon. Good news, can I get a witness on that one? So you can sleep well tonight, because some of y'all was fretting it, weren't you? But you can indeed be uh, oppressed by a demon. That is, pushed around. Demons can get after you. They can uh, tempt you, etc. They can encourage you, incite you to do evil. And, um, but they cannot possess you. They cannot take up residence or inhabit your body. And the reason they can is because the Spirit of God resides in there. The Spirit of God's like, no, sir. <laughs> Which is pretty cool, right? So that's the deal. But a person who is not a follower of Jesus, yeah, yeah, the house of their soul is wide open. And a demon can move right in and begin to work and possess individuals. And um, I've seen this personally. And I won't share because it would freak you out. But anyway, let me give you the next little deal. Demons are found in unclean places. The scripture states about the demon-possessed man. Uh, he says in, he, he had not put on any clothing for a long time. He's not living in a house but in the tombs. So the man was naked. He was a savage. And he had come from the tombs. Now, according to Leviticus which is in the Old Testament, chapter 21 and 22. The Jews were uh, to know that anything which a dead body came in contact with was considered ceremonially unclean. Therefore, the tombs themselves were not to be touched because they were considered unclean. All right? So the demon was positioned in an area which was deemed as defiled by the Old Testament. Demonic possession causes people to position themselves in places where they would not normally be. So this man was in the tombs, which, by the way, just letting you know, because he kind of put a little punch behind what Jesus said. When Jesus looked at the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which were the religious leaders, and he said, y'all are just a bunch of whitewashed tombs. He was making quite a statement there that outwardly you look extremely clean, but inwardly you are filthy and you are dead. Now, another little statement here about demons, and that is demons possess supernatural strength. Look in your Bible at verse 29. He says, He had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it, now what, what, look at what the demon had done. It had seized him many times. And he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would break the bonds. Do y'all hear that? So he's got chains around him, but the Bible says he's breaking those chains. That is some crazy strength. And yet he would break bonds. He's driven by the demon into the desert. 
Now, there is no doubt that those who are possessed by a demon or a plethora of demons have supernatural strength which defies human capabilities. They alter the mind of the uh, one that they possess and they use their strength uh, literally inside of that individual. And their strength is not for show but for bringing about violence and destruction. Now, there's another little statement here about demons, and that is demons are reasonably intelligent. Emphasis on reasonably. Now, these demons declare that even most in Israel had refused, or rather, they declared what even most in Israel had refused to declare because of their hardness of heart. Notice what um, these demons declared in verse 28. The demon speaks, and he says, Hey, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? See, for them to make such a statement was to declare that Jesus Christ himself was actually in the very nature of God. So Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And he also stated that he and the Father are one. And as well, the Hebrew writer says Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things with the power of his word. Now, this confession from the demons did not make them somehow believers or followers of Jesus Christ. You know, that's why James says that the demons believe, and yet they shudder. And so the demons recognize Jesus. They're like, what business do we have with you? You are the Son of God. It's amazing, isn't it, how the demons could see so clearly, and yet Israel could not? Now, the point at hand is that these demons acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, so it served as another authentic declaration of who Jesus is to the disciples as well. In fact, it answered the question. Are y'all with me say yes? I've never seen this before. This is awesome. It answered the question that they had asked in the boat. And what did they ask in the boat? They're like, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? And then the demons piped up and said, that's Jesus, the Son of God. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? So demons, they're reasonably intelligent. But let me give you this next little statement. Demons understand their future. They understand. In fact, they said to Jesus, I beg you, do not torment me. So the demons at work today are fully aware of the prophetic calendar. They are fully aware that there is coming a time in which they will be cast into hell. In fact, on one occasion, there's a number of demon-possessed uh, individual in the Gospels. And what they say to Jesus is, hey, please don't torment us before our time. And in other words, they know there's a time when the torment is coming. They're like, not yet, Jesus, please. It's interesting. So they're fully aware that they're going to hell. In fact, Matthew 25 and 41 tells us that hell was actually prepared for the devil and his angels. This is what hell's for. So at the present moment, with the exclusion of some demons who are in prison uh, currently, and Jude talks about that, we'll see that as well in the Old Testament, there are some demonic uh, demons who are actually in, um, well, a place called Tarsus, but we won't talk about it, but it's a real deep part of hell. That's where they are currently, but most of them are not, and they are still hanging out, but there will come a time when they themselves will be damned for eternity, these fallen angels. Now, can you imagine the reality here in this text? Our culture has us thinking that demons love hell, right? The reality is they don't love hell one single bit. In fact, the demons shudder thinking of hell, and they even in this text speak of its torment. So like, it's not time, please don't torment us. Now, very quickly, how is this all going to pan out? And, um, you know, it kind of gets a little bit into eschatology, looking at the end times. And uh, the way I read and study Scripture during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ on the earth, uh, the Bible says that Satan will be bound for a thousand years. 
So I take this to mean that all demonic activity will cease from existence during the millennium. However, at the end of the millennium, they will be let loose one last time, according to the book of Revelation, they will deceive the nations again. However, following that great deception, Jesus Christ, by his word, will cast them into eternal torment in hellfire. Revelation 20 and 10 says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet also were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So you better believe that the moment they saw Jesus step off the boat, they thought their jig was up, man. They were overwhelmingly fearful that they were about to be tormented. Notice verse 30 in your Bible. And Jesus asked them, he says, what's your name? And uh, he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. Now the term legion was, was and has been used to refer to a thousand soldiers in uh, the Greco-Roman era. Uh, so if that's any indication of how many demons were within this individual, you might get a glimpse of their power. So these demons were aware of their future. Could have very well been a thousand demons in this one individual. Which again, it's pretty amazing. So let me give you kind of the next little statement here concerning these demons, and that is demons beg for temporary mercy. Verse 31, or I'm sorry, 32 and 33 in your Bible. You got it there? Say yes. And uh, I'm going to say pigs instead of swine. But uh, there was a herd of many uh, pigs feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the pigs, and he gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. So they entreated Christ Jesus to allow them to enter into some pigs. They were uh, entreating. It's a word that literally means to beseech with a beggarly attitude. Isn't that wild? So first of all, uh, like the tombs, uh, pigs were considered by Jewish law to be unclean. Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 7. Uh, and so they were you know, advised not to eat. Um, barbecue. <laughs> it's pretty interesting, isn't it? That's why in the New Testament we're freed up. Can I get a witness on that one, man? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for the pigs. But anyway, so uh, it's kind of crazy because Peter in the New Testament book of Acts, that's what he's doing. He's hanging out with a bunch of Gentiles and he's eating barbecue. And then some Jews show up and he's like, I ain't with them. Yeah, he's wiping out the barbecues. What are you doing? He's like, man, I don't know nothing about them boys. Well, I'm clean. <laughs> Y'all forgot that text, didn't you? <laughs> but these demons, once again, notice they're in the tombs, place of uncleanliness, and then they're like, put us into pigs, another place considered unclean. So these demons, and what we know of demons, are that they absolutely hate a disembodied state. Uh, without any doubt, there can be demonic spirits in an unseen atmosphere, but they evidently cannot stand being in that state. They desire to be in a body. You know, I gained this insight as well from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, and verse 43, where it says, When an unclean spirit goes out from a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And if it does not find it, then it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, if it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order, then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and they live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. So this means quite literally that there may be a person who has a demon spirit controlling them and then that demon is cast out and we see a person change and that person begins to clean up their life, so to speak, but eventually that devil, devil spirit comes back to take a look at the body that used to be his home and if he doesn't find the spirit of God residing there, he'll go find seven more demons more wicked than himself and they'll move in altogether. This is why Luke 8 and 2, we read that seven demons came out of Mary, who was called Magdalene. Seven demons. 
Needless to say, in our current text, if Legion speaks about a thousand, good night. Pretty remarkable. How many times that happened? Chuck Swindoll writes concerning this text, and I find this interesting, and I'll just quote him. Um, he says, When the multitude of demons left the one man and entered the massive herd of swine, the destructive power became too much for the animals to bear. The carnage must have been gruesome to see a thousand of screaming, terrorized pigs violently running down an embankment and plunging into the depths of the water. The sound must have been disturbing as well to onlookers as the animals' collective squealing gradually diminished as each disappeared beneath the waves. So check this out. This morning, Jesus silenced the storm. This evening, we see Jesus drowns the demons. And just for a side note, it's interesting to me that the intellect of the demons matches the intellect of many churchgoers. So they believe Jesus is God's son. They believe Jesus will be the final judge of all sin. And they even believe that Jesus has dominion over all things. However, you could have all that intellect and be no better off than a demon. But what have we noted concerning the text so far? Bottom line, Jesus was feared by a host of demons. Point number two is that Jesus was rejected by the townspeople. Verse 34, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, man, they ran away and reported in the city and out into the country. And the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. And they became frightened. And those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country, of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district, asked him to leave them. For they were gripped with fear, and he got into a boat, and he returned home. Now, you would have thought that the people would have been excited to see the demonic man completely free. But the scripture tells us that they were terrified of Jesus. They wanted nothing to do with him. Now, <clears throat> you know, we know the townspeople weren't rednecks. This is my poor attempt at writing a joke. But if they were, they would have been like, look at all them dead pigs. Time for a barbecue. <laughs> that is funny. That would have been the first pig picking ever. Yeah, I'm just embarrassed I even said that out loud and wrote it. Now, some have speculated that they wanted Jesus out because he just ruined the livelihood of family, you know, who were some pig farmers. I uh, don't know if that's the case. However, it would go well in describing the heart of the one who heard the word, but the cares of this world choked it out. But whatever the case, there's no doubt that Jesus was not given a reception by the people. He was turned away and he was asked to leave. And bottom line is that this is how uh, many people treat the person of Jesus. Uh, when they consider him, they grow a little frightened. In fact, some of them probably thought, like the Pharisees and Sadducees tried to pin it on Jesus, that he must be doing this because he has the power of the devil himself in him. And they see Jesus there standing and this man who was possessed, clothed in his right mind, sitting there at his feet. They're thinking, good night, Jesus is more powerful. Perhaps he is also possessed. So when they considered him, they get frightened. You know, as a result, they begin to try and push him out of their minds, get rid of him, tell him to leave him alone. And that's the natural reaction to the supernatural power of God's Son. It's interesting because people can hear the gospel and they understand that they need to respond to Jesus. But like the townspeople, they're like, no, 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 let's get him out of here. We want nothing to do with him. 
Let me give you another little point here, and I promise I'll be almost finished. Jesus was received by the once possessed. Verse 38 and 39, the Bible says, But the man from the demons, uh, whom the demons had gone out, was begging him that he might accompany him, and sent him away, saying, Return to your house and describe, notice what he says, what great things, what's your Bible say? God, what God's done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. So even this man who was possessed came to Jesus, understood who he was, understood who he was because he went to the town after Jesus said, go and tell everybody what great things God has done for you. And he went out and said, let me tell you what Jesus had done. So he realized Jesus was indeed God's son. He's going out and he's telling everybody. It's interesting, isn't it? He's doing exactly what Jesus has already told the disciples to do. Great lesson, by the way, that he gives them. And again, if you keep it all in its context, as you read through Luke's gospel, and you're seeing what's going on. Remember a couple weeks ago where Jesus was like, you're the light of the world, right? You need to shine that light. Uh, nothing hidden is going to be hidden forever. It's going to be revealed. And, uh, you know, the darkness has passed away. The light is already shining. And then they come over to this side over here, and he touches this demon-possessed man. The man comes to faith in Jesus, and he runs to the town. What's he doing, man? He's letting his light shine. Because when Jesus turns somebody on fire, he doesn't say, go hide it. He says, go share it. And so that's what they do. And I would also say it's interesting that God can save anybody. This is, dude was possessed by a host of demons. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And there's sometimes what ends up happening. We're like, I've been sharing the gospel with him, man. I'm not just telling you, he's a hard-hearted joker. Is he possessed by a bunch of demons? Because God can save somebody like that. He can save that dude. Now, it also challenges us who have been saved by the grace of Jesus that we go out and we declare what great things God has done. And how do we do that? We go out and tell people about Jesus. Just like this dude did. Let me give you this statement. I'm, I'm going to pray and we'll be finished here. But Jesus has absolute authority over demonic activity. Y'all listening? Say yes. I'm trying to close it out here. Y'all listening? Say yes. Jesus lives inside of you. As you submit to his authority, you are able to overcome demonic oppression in your life as a believer. So there is victory. Pretty sweet stuff, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight.